What a morning, amen? So good what God is doing here, and uh, so amazing to be a part of. Um, We are finishing our Thrive series today, and yet there's this sense that what we're finishing is actually the birth of a new beginning. That, that actually what we've been talking about through our journey through First Peter over the last few weeks uh, is something that God doesn't want to uh, discontinue. In fact, he wants the work to continue. And, and I believe today is going to be a moment for many of us that there's something that the Lord wants to say through this last bit of First Peter that I just want to pray over and, and by faith trust that God is going to meet you right where you're at. That, that in fact, the, the word that, that I thought I was going to be preparing for today is different than what he actually ended up giving me when it came time. That actually the, the word is restoration. And, and you'll see in the text that there's a lot we're going to cover, but there's this piece that is underneath it all that is a God who restores us to what was once lost. And that in so many ways, the Christmas season is that reminder of not only do we have a God who loves us unconditionally and sent his son, but actually fights for our very restoration, for our wholeness. That's who our God is. He's fighting for you and I. He's fighting for the things that matter, that we would find wholeness and healing and restoration and freedom from whatever the chaos has thrown at us in life. So let me pray as we get ready to dive into this. And you can turn, whether you're online or in person, to 1 Peter 5. We're gonna, that's our text for today. We're going to walk through it together and dive, I believe, pretty deeply. Father, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for the opportunity to get into your word today. I thank you for this series, Thrive, and, and the fact that, Jesus, you've been meeting us in our chaos in the chaos that is all around us. And I pray today that there would just be a special sense of your presence, your spirit, your power. You are able to restore. And we believe that as we get into this today, that you are going to lead us to new heights and levels and places with you. Some will find you for the first time. Some will follow you in even deeper ways. And we give you all the glory and ask that, Jesus, you would be honored throughout this morning. We thank you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. amen, amen. So it's December 5th, hard to believe, right? We're into this Christmas season already, and it's coming fast, isn't it? And uh, I don't know about you, but one of the things that often happens in addition to the decorating, the cookies, and the gifts is the movies, right? It's, it's those moments where you, you watch a movie you've seen every year, and every year you, you watch it again, and it just brings back to some degree, the warm and fuzzies, right? Uh, Go ahead right now. If you're online, drop your favorite Christmas movie in the chat here in this room. Turn to your neighbor. Tell them, what is your favorite Christmas movie this time of year? All right. Turn to your other neighbor. That was not your first choice. And uh, tell them what your favorite Christmas movie is. Go ahead. All right. Well, I've got a number of favorite Christmas movies, uh, but one of those that for me is just, uh, every year it just makes me laugh, it's silly, it's kind of ridiculous, uh, it's this movie called Elf, and uh, come on. 
All right, we got a few others, right? And, uh, you know, whether it's the syrup on everything or it's the snowball fight or just the, the ridiculousness of a grown man acting, acting like a child, right? Uh, so, so funny. But, you know, I, I was thinking about this movie a little bit differently this year and realizing that underneath the, the humor, underneath the Christmassy aspect of it, it is this reality of a, a story really of restoration, that in a lot of ways, what's happening through that movie, what draws us in, is there's restoration happening between a son and a father. There's restoration happening between a lost family and a found family. There's a restoration happening between people that have lost the Christmas spirit and suddenly have recovered it. And here's the thing. We need to put Christ back in Christmas. Amen? And so Christmas is actually celebrating Jesus entering the chaos. If you're taking notes, he enters in to bring restoration. Even movies in Hollywood are picking up on this theme of restoration and what's needed in our world. And yet we understand, and I purposely caps locked Christ, because Christ is the reason for the season, and that is why we celebrate is actually Jesus enters into the chaos to bring restoration and healing and wholeness. And as we jump into 1 Peter chapter 5, we see a letter that has been written to 10 churches in Asia Minor. Their churches facing persecution and suffering, churches facing incredible chaos in their world. And, and the last chapter is really, in a lot of ways, written to the leadership. It's written to the people that would actually be those followers of Jesus that would use their influence to influence others. And did you know that influence is actually leadership? John Maxwell, in fact, has for years said that the best definition of leadership is influence. Well, all of us have influence. And so whether we see ourselves as a leader or not in Christ's kingdom, we have influence. We follow the greatest leader, so therefore we are leaders. Hello, church. And so as a result, we need to hear the things that are here in 1 Peter 5. So this first five verses, we're going to unpack. It says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus, our chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves all of you, with humility, say humility, toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So let's do a deep dive into what does it mean to thrive, and we're going to look at this through a couple of sections. In these first five verses, what we're seeing is that we need to lead like Jesus, that in fact, Jesus is the greatest leader ever. He is the chief shepherd. And as we follow Jesus, he calls us to use our influence to lead and shepherd others like he does. Now, you may say, well, I'm not an elder in the church. I'm not the pastor of the church. And, and, and that, that would be correct, potentially. 
But that doesn't mean that you don't have influence in a place and a space where God is saying some of the principles here, yes, you need to hold us accountable. And I say us because I don't lead on my own. I lead with a staff of pastors and support staff. I lead with elders and our board. And in every way, you need to know that you as a church, if this is your home, need to hold us to these verses. Our staff and our board went through 1 Peter back in the spring. And part of it was me arriving and saying, we need to lead like Jesus. We need to lead like shepherds. And all of us collectively embracing that, yes, this is the heart of the matter. And so you can hopefully feel good about that because we live in a day and age where it's not always easy to trust leadership, is it? It really isn't. Whether it's in the corporate world, the government, or in our schools or churches, it's not easy. But, but here he's given us a recipe for what that could look like. And here's the thing, he's not letting you, I'm not letting you off the hook. Because I believe the same principles apply to your influence, whether it's in a home, a neighborhood, a school, or a workplace. So let's look at what does it mean to look like or lead like Jesus. He mentions a few things here, just going verse by verse, picking up in that verse 2. Shepherd the flock. This means to provide care and guidance and protection and provision. If you wonder what a shepherd does, read Psalm 23 in the Old Testament. Look at what a good shepherd does for its flock and for its people. In addition to that, it says exercising oversight, not under compulsion. Anybody else show up to work or to a duty even here at the church with that sense of, I, oh, I got to do this? <laughs> you liars. <laughs> I mean, it's natural, right? Like there are moments where we're like, oh, I got to do this. I'm com-. And, and we feel c- compelled when in reality, we should be willingly saying, because I get to do this, right? It's proactive language. I get to do this. And the, the Holy Spirit helps us, I believe, with that, to see that, that actually it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to willingly serve and shepherd others. It goes on to say, uh, not for shameful gain, but, eager, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but be examples. There's a lot there. Right, if our motive is wrong, if we're leading and it's about us, if we're leading and it's about positioning and platforming ourselves, whether it's in your workplace or mine, that's a problem. It, you know, we're not also to lead with a spirit of domineering. Shepherdings are, shepherds are humble. Leading like Jesus is not to dominate and to control people. It's to lovingly see them become who God created them to be. We do that not to dominate and domineer, but to lovingly steward. So much of what Peter is getting at in this letter is, hey, you're going to go through some stuff, but you need to go through it in a way that says, I'm here to steward and to serve and to use my life, the life God has given you, the talents, the gift, and the time for the greatest good and the greatest glory for our God. Amen? And so we do it out of that place, not to have power and control others goes on to say that we're to be examples, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I mean, when's the last time? You remember maybe in, in the New Testament, there's this moment in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, where the Apostle Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And, and what he's saying is not brash or, or overly confident. He's, he's actually saying, listen, I'm a leader that's following Jesus 
And I'm an example to you of what that looks like. And if you're unsure how to do it, follow my example. What would a church, what would Christianity look like if all of us collectively were looking to others and saying, hey, follow my example. As I follow Jesus, I dare you to watch how I live. (laughs) Right? I mean, for many of us, we don't want people to watch how we live. Like when the spotlight's off, when our real character is tested, we don't necessarily see or say, hey, watch me as I follow Jesus. But the calling to lead like Jesus is to be willing to say, no, I'm going to follow Jesus. I can't do it on my own, but I'll be an example to others of what is possible, and we're going to do that together. And this is the key to remember. This letter is not written to you and I individually. It's written to a community of followers of Jesus, to the church. We do this in community together, amen? And so we need to learn and be a place that's willing to learn from others. So excited to share with you. We announced it this last Wednesday for the first time in our e-news. We've got an amazing opportunity to host a leadership conference. Uh, Here's some of the information. This is going to be February 25th. Live and in person, two of the greatest leadership experts and trainers in the kingdom of God over the last 30 years are going to be here at Pathway Church. Dr. Dean Radke and John Maxwell, along with two or three other speakers. And here's the thing, you might say, well, that's for you, Pastor. And I'm saying, no, that's for all of us. Because we want to grow as leaders that can look at Pathway, that can look at Vero, that can look at whatever God calls us to, and can say sincerely, we're doing this not to dominate or domineer. We're doing this because we want to shepherd and lead like Jesus And we want to grow to be more like Jesus. And we're not going to do that in isolation. So can I encourage you to check this out and sign up? I expected a little bit more of a response. Um, God is good. And we have such a great opportunity to host that. Now let's go on here. I got to keep moving. Verse 6 and 7. It says... Right after God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Two verses. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. If you're taking notes, we're diving deep to thrive, and this means in this second piece that we need to humbly give all our anxieties to God. That, That we need to be a people that says, I am humble enough to admit that I need God in my leadership and in my living, that I need God to show up, and that in many cases, we are living in an age of anxiety. Anybody else worried about something this week or even today? Okay, about half of you are honest. I mean, this is a natural thing that we all wrestle with. And what he's saying here is we need to humble ourselves, which creates this sense of dependency That, okay, who can I depend on? Who is trustworthy? Who is reliable? Who is able? Who ultimately is in control if I'm not? Because if the chaos of the last couple of years have not shown you that you're not in control, I don't know how to help you. I really don't. If you can't get it through, and I'll just say to myself, your thick head, Brian, that you aren't in control, I don't know how to help you. Because there is this reality of humbling ourselves and saying, no, we're not in control. 
that actually God is in control, and we don't always understand everything happening, but that's why we need to give all, and the word there, all, means what? All our anxieties to God. It's interesting the day and age we live in that is so anxious. And I just want to submit to you that I believe the, the start, the, the advent, the beginning of a lot of this age of anxiety goes back to around 2007. That a lot of it is the addition of these to our lives. That as much as I love my, my smartphone, as much as I love the access it gives me to all the information, I mean, can you, I, I grew up in a generation where you were thrilled if you had a set of encyclopedias, the Encyclopedias Britannica, right? And, and, and you know, you had old information on your hands, but you, you had information, where now, literally, you have all of it plus what just happened today at your fingertips. Maybe those of us that are new in this generation to parenting and leading another generation that none of us really know, have known how to do it, need to realize that some of the anxiety, some of the things that we see in the younger generation is our own doing. That, that in fact, we created technology that has meant the weight of the world can literally be in our fingertips before we're mature enough and have the emotional intelligence to actually handle it. And, and maybe we could create enough community within the church where we begin to say, hey, these aren't the devil, but the devil can use them. Anybody? And, and maybe we need to talk about how to better steward these. So that instead of allowing these to bring all the anxiety onto us, we actually can set them aside and take all of our anxieties and lay them down. That, that actually here, when it says, humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The journey of beginning to work through our own anxieties often begins by recognizing how great God is and how much he cares for us. God loves you and cares deeply about you. And you might say, oh, it's, it's, it's too small, it's too little. Nothing is too small for God. God is a God of details, intimacy and intricacy. And he wants you to bring it to him. He wants to meet you in it. The third aspect of diving deep to thrive here is in verse 8 and 9. He goes on and says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Say resist. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You know, Peter is calling them to, to cast their anxieties, to look to God, to humbly say, God, I need you. And this last aspect here of this particular section is we need to be aware of our real enemy and take authority over the attacks. He's saying, listen, you have an enemy that's going to attack, that's going to cause suffering and persecution. Some know the term spiritual warfare, where it messes with your head and your mind and your heart and in all of these ways begins to get you off track. And yet we have a God, if you're not familiar with spiritual warfare, start in Ephesians 6, okay? But we have a God who's there and says, listen, I want you to be aware of it, but I don't want you to be consumed by it. I want you to be aware of it, but I don't want you to focus on it. 
Because at the end of the day, our God has given us, in Matthew 28, it says that Jesus has all authority on heaven and in earth. Meaning whether it's in the spiritual realm or the physical, all authority has been given to Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. And he delegates that authority to you and I. He says, you now go and make disciples. So when we come into a relationship with Jesus, we no longer have to bow to anybody but Jesus. That that authority we have can overcome the attacks of the enemy. Be sober-minded. What does that mean? When those thoughts come, anxiety, spiritual warfare, other things, depression, discouragement, whatever it is, we take authority over it. We say, no, not today, Satan. No, not today. And when you begin to take that authority, it's as simple as saying, in Jesus' name, I do not have to submit to this any longer. In Jesus' name, I know my God has overcome that attack. And I believe that this, yes, this is why Peter is saying he roars like a, he he roams like a roaring lion. He doesn't say he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He doesn't say he's the king of kings and that the lion with all authority. He says he roars like a lion, meaning the enemy often will try to convince us of things that are lies and falsehoods and not true. And so what do we do? We, We humble up. We cast our anxieties to God. We get into a place that says, my God has the authority over this. Some of us may have been stuck for some time. Some time where you've been discouraged or depressed, anxious, or just feeling like the enemy is after you. And I'm here to say, don't go it alone. You don't have to submit to that. You can begin with Jesus in you and a good community around you to overcome those attacks. That in fact, we're not meant to do this alone. And so men, I'm calling you out. I'm calling you out tomorrow night, Monday night men. I'll be there. I can't wait to be back. I want to encourage you, come out at 6.30. We're in the youth building in the back of the property. And you have an opportunity to gather with other men who are learning how to take authority over the attacks together. Come out and join us tomorrow night. And women, I'm calling you out. Equal opportunity today, right? You have a Christmas dinner for the women's ministry this Wednesday. And I want to encourage you, if you have been not able to because of your schedule, or maybe you've been carrying some stuff and you're just like, I'm not ready to be around other people. This Wednesday's your time, okay? They, this, the door is open, seats are available. If you haven't come all, all you know, semester, this Wednesday is your time. Church, we're going to learn how to walk and thrive in this season together. And we're going to do it because we're not going to be depending just on ourselves. We're going to share it with God and we're going to share it with each other. Amen? Now, as we think about what all of this means and looks like, I want to take us to the last part of the text. And verse 10 through 14, I want to read, and then we're going to focus in just on verse 10, really. And this is where God has kind of been leading with what I believe we need to respond with today. And it's, you may be asking, well, where's the word restoration come into this? It's here in verse 10. Let me read to you what it says. 
Because Peter's laid out, we need to lead like Jesus. We need to humble up and cast all our anxieties. He said we need to be aware of the attack and take authority. And now he's acknowledging, in fact, at the first part of verse 10, it says the word and. There's actually 28 times in the book of 1 Peter that he uses this transition. What he does is he creates a contrast. He, he wants them to understand that, listen, this is the reality of the chaos in the world you live in. And here's who and what your God can do. Think of that as we read this verse. Verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I'm actually not going to read the last few verses. I just want to focus in right now on verse 10. About five years ago, I had been through a season where I had experienced a lot of hardship in life and leadership. Uh, Some of it was my own doing. Some of it was the doing of others. At the end of the day, God was showing up in all of it. He was developing me and preparing me for what he had next to bring me here. But in 2016, I wasn't in a place where I wanted to hear it. I was in a place where I was so anxious, so discouraged, and not realizing the power that my God had to take authority over the attacks. You ever been in that place where you just want to curl up in a closet in the fetal position? None of the men will admit it. Y'all, it's true, right? There are times where we just don't know how to get through what life has thrown at us. And what I love about Peter is he's saying, like, similar to what Jesus said, right? John 16, 33, you'll have trials, take joy, you'll overcome them, my paraphrase. Peter's reinforcing that message that, listen, we're going to go through stuff, but our God is faithful and able. And it was actually in that year that I read this verse and I felt like God just drilled it into my soul. And I would love to tell you that it happened overnight. Wouldn't you love that? Like you're just waiting for that magic moment with Jesus. And and here's what I want to submit to you. Don't ever think that the Holy Spirit can't. Because I have stories of bringing stuff to God when the Holy Spirit, for myself or for others, immediately did it. But I also have stories that took some time to unfold And this is actually one of those where God dropped something in my spirit about this verse, but then it took some time for the healing and the restoration to unfold. A few years, actually, of God working through different things. So I want you to hear that that the ultimate restoration is when Jesus returns. But when Jesus shows up in the now and not yet, the now of today, the restoration can begin, church. It can begin. So let's look at what it says here because I believe that for many of us, this is our moment in what God wants to do and meet us in as we finish this Thrive series. There's four basic things here that are said that the first is God's grace, the God of all grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. It's not earned, it's a gift. It's a gift that empowers us to begin to experience more of who God has created us for. God's grace restores. What does that mean? It's actually in the original language. It means to fully prepare, complete, 
and join together. Actually, we see the use of this word in the mending of nets in Matthew chapter 4 that God aligns and restores and mends. See it again in Galatians 6 that God is a God of restoring even an erring brother or sister. Anybody ever had a problem with another family member or Christian family member? Come on, church. I want to just name this, right? That for many of us, our issue with Christianity and church isn't Jesus. It's our experience of each other. Church hurt is a real thing. And the way to begin to work through it and deal with it is to look past the person that hurt you to Jesus. To begin to see what he can do in restoring you because as he does that, he allows you to be restored to others. Our God is able. So he brings and joins together. The word is also used in the union of members in a church that that he restores us and he brings us together. Secondly, it said that God's grace confirms. Confirms actually means to firmly establish in any position, privilege, or responsibility lost in suffering. We know we have an enemy that is out to steal, kill, and destroy. That oftentimes when we go through suffering, we feel like we've, the locusts have come, right? It's devouring and eating oftentimes our finances, our relationships, and other things. And what Peter is saying here is, listen, when we look to God, his grace is able to confirm and firmly replace the things that were once lost. It may not look the same way, but he's able He actually can backfill and overflow in our lives in ways that radically change our story. Amen? The third thing that God's grace can do is it strengthens. And this is from any weakness and overcoming evil. That in fact, we may look at this and we may say, okay, I've faced suffering and I didn't take authority over the attack and I feel weakness moving forward and He's saying God's grace is there to restore you and to give you the strength that in fact you're able to overcome any evil and attack in your life. And sometimes he's going to do that through the grace that he supplies to other believers in his church family. Amen? When one is weak, another is strong. That's why we need each other. And then lastly, he says that God's grace establishes This means that we begin to find and to settle. It places our our feet on a firm foundation. Because oftentimes when chaos comes and things happen, we can feel rattled. We can feel like maybe we're at the beach on sand. And the beauty of following God is no matter our circumstances, he is our firm footing. He establishes us in a way that says, listen, I see you in the mess. I see you in the brokenness. I see you in the things that you've gone through. And I want to firmly not just find you, but establish you. I want to help you settle. Anybody need to just settle in their soul today? To allow him to be our firm foundation. And as I prayed, I just believed that There was so much that God wanted to do today. And that how we needed to respond was similar to what we often would see in the pages of the New Testament with the early church. That that actually when they would gather, in fact, Jesus, what did he call his church? He called his church a house of prayer. 
That, that actually his people would listen to the word and they would worship and they would talk about what God was doing, but they would pray together. And often in modern churches, we, don't, we talk about prayer, but we rely on prayer from the front when I believe God wants to do something throughout the church. And so if you're a visitor, we love you. We're so glad you're here. But we're going to finish a little different today. And for some of you, this is what you've been wondering, is, is the church actually living and doing what the early church did? See, what I want to do is just create space here at the end for us to pray. Not me. I'll say a prayer. But I want to create the space for individuals to pray, for you to know the altars are open and we have staff and prayer partners ready to pray with you, for you also to consider forming a prayer circle here in person, a group of four to eight people that just says, hey, we're going to pray for each other, that God would restore. Because we've all been through something over the last couple of years. And I believe God wants to restore so we move forward thriving and healthy and the people that God wants us to be. Pathway's worth it, Vero's worth it, and guess what? You're worth it. Amen? So we're going to put these next step questions up. I'm going to ask them of you, but we're going to just leave them up. We're going to create an atmosphere where worship is in the background playing. And then I'm going to pray. And then if you're ready to go, you can go. If you'd like to stay for a few minutes and pray alone or with a prayer circle or come to the altar, if you're not even sure what's happening right now, take your time. This is a giant risk, amen? But what I've learned over the years is when the Holy Spirit's leading something, step out by faith and trust that God's going to do something today. So the four questions, are we pathway following Jesus by shepherding and serving humbly? Leaders, I want us to be able to answer that confidently, to say we're leading like Jesus. Secondly, are you turning over all your anxieties to God? Is there something you've been holding on to that you think you can figure out, fix, and fight for better than him? Let me just tell you, he can't, and he's ready to take it today. Third, are you taking authority over the attacks of the enemy? Maybe, in fact, there's an area, a stronghold, or a, 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 a thought that just keeps coming, and you need to take authority today over that attack. And then lastly, will you seek God's grace for restoration today? Maybe it's restoration in your marriage, with your kids, with your home. Maybe it's restoration in our church or between you and another church. Maybe it's restoration in your workplace or in your neighborhood. God wants to move today, the God of all grace. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray. If you're online, our chat host has a link for you. We actually have a digital prayer room set up for you. If you're online, you can go over to it. And you can pray with each other. Isn't that cool? Technology's amazing, isn't it? Here in this room, after I pray, these will stay up here as an opportunity for you to pray individually or with a prayer circle of maybe four to eight people here in the room. The worship will keep playing. The altars will be open. I believe that our God has shown up today. 
and he wants to show out in your life. You ready to go to him? I'm gonna pray, and I'll just say this last piece. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, start there today. Come see one of our prayer partners or staff. We would love to pray with you, that you could receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you're a visitor, when you do, you don't have to leave right now. You can stay as long as you want to. But when you feel ready to leave, there's a welcome center out there, and we've got a gift for you, and we'd love to welcome you. Father, we are humbled in your presence. I believe, God, you are at the end of this series creating space for us to just come to you, to bring all our anxieties, to bring the attacks, to bring maybe our sense of pain and suffering to you together. Holy Spirit, come. Meet us in this moment. Fill this space with your grace. God of all grace, this passage talks about your glory your worth and your weight. So we just pray that your glory and presence would be here, restoring lives to your design. We take authority over any attack of the enemy. This is safe and sacred space. And Jesus, do your best work among us right now. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, church, let's respond and let's pray together, amen.